Welcome to the Jam Session. This is the Jam Session Radio Hour, and I'm your host, John Landis, and uh, working with others at the Jam Session, including Cleus Brondahl, our music director, and Rafael Alvarez, our post-production uh, expert and uh, sound person. And tonight we have the pleasure of bringing you an interview that was done back in 2000. 19, I think, in September 2019, not too long ago, with Gil Goldstein. Gil Goldstein, who is a splendid uh, keyboard player, accordion player, um, arranger, conductor, composer, raconteur. This is a really fun interview um, that was done by the NYU Steinhardt School, like these other interviews that we've been bringing you recently. Uh, done by Dave Schroeder of the Steinhardt School at NYU. And uh, Dave has explored a number of different people, um, and we've brought you some of those interviews of Tom Scott and Peter Erskine and Mike Maneri and John McLaughlin. And this this one we bring you with Gil Goldstein, who happens to be a, a resident of the East End. We're very happy that that's the case because he's been able to play with the jam session. And when we come back and are doing live music again, he will play more with the jam session, I assure you. He's a great guy, funny guy, great storyteller. Uh, and to follow the organic lines of the growth of his career as he describes them for you in this ensuing interview. So please sit back and enjoy an interview of, da of Gil Goldstein by Dave Schroeder of NYU Steinhardt School. And tonight we have composer, arranger, pianist, accordion player, squeeze box player, I don't know what producer. else. Well, producer. Well, 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 conductor. Conductor. Uh, One-legged tap dancer. Man about town. Mr. Gil Goldstein. That's conducting. See that cut off? I'd like to know how you lost your leg. <laughs> I, I knew I was going to have a hard first question. I'm always prepared for that. It was either a, a body part question or a math question. <laughs> so now the real first question. Okay. Well, you've been. Oh, and you're an academic. You're actually Dr. Gil Gold. Actually, is it Dr. Bruce Gilbert Goldstein, the seventh? <laughs> kind of. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. Um, you've been teaching here, maybe. 12 years? I would years? say even more, honestly. And I think it's interesting how I came here because it's, it's kind of a microcosm of my whole career. And I'm going to go back and remember how it all unfolded. And in tw in, on September 11th, there was... Um, Joe Lavana was going to do a recording called Viva Caruso, and he hired probably the greatest accordionist in the world, Richard Galliano, to play on the record. It was kind of Italian, and he's Italian. And, uh, and Richard was afraid to come here. He just, like, went, I'm not going to New York. And... Uh, so I get, a, I get a call on my phone. It's like, hey, Gil, it's Joe. Man, 
I need you on accordion. I know you got that accordion, Gil. Come on, break out the squeeze box, you know. And he was like, and I went, wow. And it's, and it's turned out another little weird thing was I had a gig with Herbie Mann, the flute player, in some very faraway place. And it's like I couldn't get back. And I had to figure out some crazy routing, routing to get back to New York. And I made it back, played on the record. Um, on that actual record, I invented a way of playing the accordion that I figured out on the record. I, I had an accordion that played high notes in the left hand. And, and I was playing this song called uh, Streets of Naples. Um, and I started to solo with my right hand, and then I realized, wait a minute, I can play some notes. And literally, I, I had never done it before, but I went, I can just play some high notes here, and it's kind of like I'm playing two lines at once. And that was the first time I did it was on a record, and James Farber was the engineer, and he went, Gil, it sounds like two accordions. I went... All right. So, you know, sometimes the, the, the nerves and the tension of a, of a recording, I feel, is good for creating something to happen that you might not have ever imagined. And to get back to how we met. So then in I was the working with, with Joe Lovano. We played a gig in Connecticut at some place. And there was Dave. And what he, was that, Ridgefield? I have no idea. Fairfield, somewhere. It somewhere was in one of the fields. Center. It was in the field. You were playing a retirement home with Joe Lovano. <laughs> right. That was our normal circuit. No. And, uh, and Dave was there, and he, he said, wow, would you like to come and teach at NYU? No, that's not what I said. What did you say? You, you walked. I was at a table. I don't yeah. remember what I was selling. And uh, I might have been selling Joe's CDs for him that night. And, and you walk up and you're looking at the CDs. He goes, oh, you, you, you run the jazz program at NYU? Can I have a job? I said that. Yeah. I really. Yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes you've got you to gotta apply. So I, Is that true? But, but, <laughs> but my, uh, the way that I roll is like if anybody just asks me for a job, I give it to them. So it wasn't anything special. But I remember I had to come here and do a workshop, and you kind of auditioned me, and you said, okay, you can work with humans. <laughs> and I brought my accordion in. It was the accordion. See, the, the accordion, accordion always it. wins. I would like to believe that. It's like the Mongolian horn. It's oh, like, yeah. Uh, see? Uh, all right, well, thanks for coming, Gil. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, in the last couple of weeks, I've interviewed some people that uh, were, were like giving you high praise. Um, Steve Kahn said, oh, Gills, he was good. He was there. He, he held the good. session together. And the same thing with uh, Mike Minieri. So both of these guys, um, you know, I, so let's talk about that. Somehow, I mean, I know you so well. You're actually in a chapter in my book. Thank you for interview. that also. And it's a good chapter if you haven't read it. Um, but it's like your life has had all these twists and turns. Somehow you, you're kind of like, you remember that movie Zelig? 
So somehow you're you're working with all of a sudden you're working with Pat Martino and then you're in Miami hanging out with Jaco Pastorius and then you're in Boston hanging out with Pat Metheny and then you know then you're with the Brecker brothers and then you're here and so how does that it's happen? It's true. Again, it kind of happened like how I met you. Like one thing leads to... You just to asked them. I said, I can I work with you? See? No, it's, but I think... I think it's I, your blue eyes. I, I, don't, I don't have blue eyes, do I? Oh, I um, I think it's the nature of the music business that when you're kind of in the general area of music... You start to meet people, and if you're, you know, you can't really ask for jobs in reality. You can kind of be there when something might happen, and you have to hope for a very lucky thing, honestly and truly. And I feel like I was a very late developer with meeting Mike Maneri and the Breckers, and Dave Sanborn, they'd all came what I thought was later in my life. I admired them all from afar for many years, and I said, will I ever work with them? And a lot, another kind of funny story is when I was playing with Pat Martino, who I met through Jaco Pastorius, who said to me one day when he was staying at my cousin's apartment, in New York after he had done a gig with Pat Matheny that I went to Boston to, to, um, to hang and I was going to maybe teach at Berkeley and then he said I want to come back to New York, Jocko and he said, you want to play with Pat Martino man? I said yeah and um, I think I've told this story a million times but it's kind of a funny story because I, he said here's his number, call him up you know, and I went, okay, and I went, hello, Mr. Martino, this is Gil Goldstein, I'm, I'm uh, Jocko gave me, yeah, um, you're not, and I was like totally insecure, and I said, I'd like to play with you, and Pat went, are you sure, man? <laughs> <laughs> and I picked myself, I said, yes, I am, I am, I am sure. Um, so I met Pat. Now, what was your question? Sorry, Dave. How did I meet all these people? Yeah, how did you become okay. this conduit of... The conduit. So then when I was playing with Pat Martino, I get a call from Hiram Bullock, who I went to college with, who was at that time playing with Dave Sanborn. And he said, hey, Gil, Dave is auditioning piano players. Would you like to come up and audition for it? which was a very nice thing that he did. And I, I said the only thing that I could say, which was no, because I have a job with, Dave, with Pat Martino. I'm in his band, faithful that I was. You know, looking back on it, I was like, seriously? You know, I played like five weeks in a year with Pat, you know, and I completely blew it off. But miraculously, uh, other opportunities opened up that I could eventually work with Dave in the perfect situation for me. You know, the, the funk band with Dave might not have been my best situation. But then um, 
actually, I think it was because Alan Broadbent was hired to conduct for Dave when he did a record called Pearls, and then he couldn't do it. So he he called Matt Pearson at the time, was head of Warner Brothers, Jeff, and Matt said, well, just call Gil. And so he called me, but originally he called me when he thought Alan was going to conduct. He said, would you like to play synth with the orchestra? I want to kind of thicken it up. And I went, no, <laughs> I don't want to do that. So I, a second time I said no to, to Dave Sanborn. And then Alan couldn't do it. And uh, then he calls me back and he goes, Hi, Gil, it's Dave. Listen, would you like to play piano with uh, the thing? I said, oh, yeah, yeah, that I would like to do. And he says, and, and you can conduct, right? I said, yeah, I can conduct. And he goes, and you could write about five or six arrangements? And I said, oh, yeah, perfect. And he goes, now you like that, don't you? <laughs> you like that. So, you know, it was kind of like... Yeah, I like that. So, you know, I blew so many opportunities in a way, and I kind of kicked myself for many years and would wake up in the middle of the night and, you know, bang the pillows and go, why was I so stupid? And then eventually I got to work with these people. But, it, you know, I, I say I'm a late developer because if I hadn't made so many faux pas, maybe I had, work, had worked with them earlier, but maybe the earlier opportunities wouldn't have been as good as the later ones. Mm -hmm. So you, you get lucky sometimes and you catch it at the right point.
You're listening to WLIW-FM 88.3 in Southampton, New York. And this is the Jam Session Radio Hour. You can also hear WLIW.org slash radio. We are bringing you tonight an interview of Gil Goldstein by Dave Schroeder of the NYU Steinhardt School. Mike Brecker is another example that I would always like. You know, when I first moved to New York, I had a million little connections with him. I had a friend named Michael Willens from Washington, D.C., whose father was Joe Willens. He booked the Kennedy Center, and Michael was this uber-talented bass player, and he'd play like, you know, the Rite of Spring with the National Symphony when he was in high school, and he was this crazy, talented kid and when I first moved to New York he was there he was the first person that I met that called Bill Evans by his first name you know he'd say did you hear Bill's new record and I went Bill oh Bill yeah no I haven't heard it yet you know so he was just very connected and at his house the second night I was in New York there was a session and Mike Brecker showed up was Barry Finnerty Mike Willens and I think Danny Gottlieb and I was like I'm playing with Mike Brecker did I connect with Mike? not at all you know it was kind of just like you know and then I'd see him again it'd be you know and then I got called to do a gig with Don Elias in England this was so many years later Um, and I, Don asked me to arrange the music for it. It was Mike and Randy, four percussionists, a bass player from Spain, Carlos Benevent. And I did some arrangements. The songs were not so complicated, but I did some arrangements for it. And then Mike, from that point on, thought of me as the arranger, Gil the Arranger. And uh, the first night of the gig in... Uh, Queen Elizabeth Hall in London. First of all, Mike, it was a, you know, Mike was the most humble and like beyond down to earth guy. And he says to me right before the concert, he goes, Gil, I don't remember anything about the music. And I went, okay, Mike, <clears throat> okay, we're gonna, <clears throat> starts off, you know. Did he not remember anything? He was just a little nervous about it because it was a lot of music we learned, rehearsed it for three days, and none of us really knew the music. It was the first night, and we... You had charts, though. We had charts, but, you know, and then Don was a first-time leader, and he goes, okay, we're going to go out there, and we're all going to play our bodies for five minutes. You know, so that was the first tune, play our bodies. And he said, Gil, as soon as it's over, I want you to count off into the first tune. And I went, okay. You know, so I counted off, and Mike and Randy are standing right in front of me, so they don't see one thing that I'm doing. So I go, one, two, three, four. So they don't come in, you know, so it was like, you know. So, you was know. Was the queen there, too? Was queen the queen was there? not there, yeah. but... It was a funny thing that you say that because one of the tunes, one of the arrangements that I did, I wrote out this really complex line, probably trying to impress 
Mike. And he says, Gil, do you really want me to play this line? I said, ah, no, you don't, you don't have to play it for sure. I was just trying to be fancy. And then Mike goes, okay. He goes, listen, if we look up and the queen is in one of the boxes, I'll play it. <laughs> so also that night, I, I, I was so worried about Mike and all the music and everything that I f lost my pouch, which I left in the dressing room that somebody stole with my cash and my passport. So that was the first night of the gig. That was a bad part of the gig. But the best part of the gig is we're in the middle of the first tune, and I'm comping for Mike, and I'm like, Mike is playing, and I'm comping for him. So I'm going to follow him and really listen to him and be really good and follow him all over the place, wherever he goes. And it was just great to hear Mike playing right in front of you. I was like, wow, look at that. So um, we're in the middle of the solo, and he turns around, and he goes, man, you're comping your ass off. And I went, that's it. He noticed me. <laughs> and that was kind of it. Some good comping, you know. So he figured, like, if you can comp, you can probably arrange. And, and then right after the first gig, he said, hey, you know, I'm going to go to Bologna, and a guy is writing a piece for me. He was commissioned. But, you know, it's not really my stuff. I'd like to have an arrangement of one of my songs on the concert. And he took like about five minutes to explain it. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. You'd like to have an arrangement of one of your songs on the concert. So um, I was, you know, and I, so I said, so you were thinking that maybe I would arrange it, right? And he went, yeah, yeah. And that was it. That was my first. Wow. Like you, I had to ask for the job. See? But it was very subtle, and it was, like, not non-invasive. So I, I, we'll come back to Mike Brecker, because okay. it was really important part of your life. But uh, somebody we missed was Gil Evans. Gil Evans. But talk about, and I know this story, talk about when you first met him when you were in Switzerland. Okay. Well, okay, that came about because I, I, um, Billy Cobham had a band and he had hired, you know, we're going to see a theme here that a lot of my gigs came about because somebody couldn't make it and I just happened to be at the right place at the right time. So Kenny Kirkland was supposed to do a tour with Billy Cobham's group in Europe. He didn't show up. So they hired somebody in New York. I forgot exactly who it was. And then Billy didn't like the way he was playing. Or the story that I remembered was they were going to play Body and Soul. And this guy said, Coltrane changes. And, and Billy went, no, no, not Coltrane changes, just regular body and soul. Not everybody knows Coltrane changes. He goes, and he started to play, and he kept playing Coltrane changes. And Billy used to do this thing where he would shake his finger like, no, 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 which he did to me sometimes. <laughs> and I would stop doing what he didn't like. And, but this guy didn't stop, and they fired him. And... I had played two nights before with your favorite 
alto saxophonist Eric Claus. Oh, wow. I had played in the club, and I had studiously written my name in white paint on my amp, Gil Goldstein, and Tim Landers and Mike Stern were in the band. They said, well, what about Gil? And that's how I got the gig. Wow. But, you know, I showed up and I could do the gig. You know, it wasn't just, it wasn't just dumb luck, you know, but it was like a kind of fateful thing that I was there. And then after about a year and a half, Billy did a program that he was going to do a music education thing, and he had the Breckers and Gil Evans Orchestra, Louis Belson... Um, a lot of people. I, I forgot who else, honestly. But I met Gil Evans, and he was at a table like this table. And I didn't know that much about Gil Evans, I'm embarrassed to say at the time. I knew that he had created some amazing arrangements and work with Miles, but it was, it was almost too big to tap into. I was like, what is that? You know, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he's at this table, and it's all these loose pieces of paper that were not stapled together, you know. And he was just like trying to fit them together. And like I said, I really like this guy, you know. And so Gil's thing, as much as we think of him as the uber perfect, you know, he was a very loose character in the best sense of the word. You know, he liked, you know, things to go like that. And I believe that he really encouraged Miles to, like, just go for it, you know. Like on Miles in the Sky, they would have very simple sketches that Gil would generally do that were simple enough for Herbie and Ron to look at and didn't impose too much, but just enough that they could go, oh, uh, yeah, I can fit into this. And that's an important part of arranging and an important part that Gil knew how to do, and not a lot of arrangers know how to do that, to keep it lightly arranged where people can add their own contributions into so that's how I met Gil. But I remember you saying, um, I actually have... Oh, one. with the band with you. But I have another question. What yeah. were you doing writing your name on an amp? You brought your own amp to your But own? that was like the hip thing to do at the time. Like, you, you know, would say like, Bon Jovi, you know. It was like, I felt like a rock star. Oh, Okay. You know, so that just the, stuck in my head for a minute. Yeah, no, but you know how people <clears throat> write. You know, you want to sign that amp later? No, but it has to be your amp, and uh. you have to like, you know, it looks like you know those kind of crate letters, like, you know, you get a stencil and you put it on. Uh. I thought I was being very uh. professional, and it got me a gig. <sighs> okay, well, okay, the Gil Evans wait story. Wait a minute, but the one caveat okay. is because you were telling me about. Uh, that performance, uh, right. we, we know Gil Evans as being this great organizer and great arranger, all those amazing records, but you were saying that. 
it was a complete mess. Well, the the rehearsals were a complete mess. You know, he kind of handed out sometimes just the lead sheet, and uh, he'd give it to the horn player and one of the horn players. Some of the horn players were he were over from his regular band that were that was in New York that he played with and some of them were Europeans that were just hired to fill out the rest of the band and so one of the guys got the chart and he goes what do you want us to play here and Gil said just pick a line and follow it you know and I went yeah okay <laughs> you know I like that you know and I started to feel like yeah I like that kind of arranging like you don't have to, you know, put everything in place. And, you know, you're open to some accidental and um, kind of cool things that might result. So that was, um, you know, and as soon as we started playing, I, I liked it. And then Mike Brecker was also in that band, and he could never get a solo. Everybody would jump up and bogart. And, and he thought, like... I remember him saying to me that he thought it was like really not a fun gig at all. And he said, look, if we ever do something together, let's never do anything like that. Now, in the end, once we did work together, I could find some places in the music that I could leave it a little bit unspecified. And one of the songs on the Quindectet record, which was one of the later ones that I wrote, not because I was lazy and didn't have enough time to finish it before the session, but I said, look, we're in A minor here. I said, you know, it started with glissandos and the strings and kind of tremolos and the brass. And I said, you know, go off the page after one repeat, you know, just start following your ear. And and you can hear on the record where the orchestra starts to improvise, and it was helpful that Mark Feldman was at the first violinist, and he really kind of, okay, guys, you know, he really instigated the thing. And you hear Mike completely stop for a second and go, oh, Look out, you know, and he went, let me wait here. Go ahead. All right, I'm in, you know. And he loved it. And then there was another song that I arranged for him that at the end we would kind of go off the page again. And at one rehearsal for one of the first gigs, everybody was going completely nuts. And I said, guys, guys, which was not a Gil Evans thing to do. He very rarely reprimanded the band. Because he said to me once, he said, you know, I'd like to tell the guys to play softer, but he says, I know next set they'll just pout. <laughs> so he didn't generally give a lot of, you know, he figured, you know, if you're not following the rules, I hired the wrong guy and nothing that I'm going to say probably is going to help. That was kind of his philosophy for better or worse so I yelled at the, everybody in the band I said guys you're not even listening to Mike you know do you have to kind of listen to him and respond and then play off of him and Mike goes no Gil I like it when it's crazy and chaotic and I went oh okay well then stay that way you know so it was just funny how Mike kind of turned around a little bit and 
it kind of fit into his style. And I met Mike and Gil Evans on that gig through Billy Cobham, and in addition, my wife.
Thanks for staying with us on this night, which is a great interview of Gil Goldstein by Dave Schroeder. Gil Goldstein, the uh, keyboardist. And this is part one of what will be two parts of the Gil Goldstein interview. And we hope to bring you more of Gil in the future. This is WLIW-FM 88.3 in Southampton, New York, Long Island's only NPR station. Also can be heard at WLIW.org slash radio, the Jam Session Radio Hour. So it, it seems like, and I know why, uh, Mike Brecker was very intimidating. Did you have that feeling with other artists that you worked with? You know, with Mike, I just felt like I didn't want to screw up, mm-hmm. you know, which I do feel with everybody else, too. I just didn't want was to... Was, I guess I should say, was there another imposing figure that... Uh, I'm I'm always I'm always nervous and uh, you know it's hard to say somebody was more but look I've worked with Pat Metheny where I did arrangements and orchestrations and played with him and he's also imposing mm-hmm. but with everybody I don't want to make a mess so I'm always nervous and I'm always a little bit fearful before something starts and I hope that it's good mm-hmm. and uh, that it doesn't suck. Well, I should say that uh, we both felt the wrath of, of the great Tio Macero at certain times. Right. And uh, so we both have our badges of honor. Yeah. There. So talk about Tio for a minute. Well, you know, I mean, Tio, how many imposing characters did he work with and he had such a great producing style not like my style and uh, you know everybody has their own style but he had a very um particular style and uh it was it worked very effectively for him i worked with him on a record that uh matt pearson was one of the first bigger records that I arranged for Wallace Roney called Mysterios. And that was one of the records before Sibelius when I wrote all the scores and copied all the parts, you know, it was like, oh boy, you know. And Tio was producing it with Matt, you know, and he would get in there. I remember the first song we did, I did a version of Michelle for him. He wanted... Michelle from the Beatles and I was seriously stumped how to get Michelle into a style that would suit Wallace and all kind of Brazilian South American sounding songs so I I had to search long and hard and I found it by accident really one day it just I heard the melody in E minor in a kind of a Nardisy kind of way and and Tio really liked the arrangement. And while we're in there recording, he goes, all right, let's forget all the other songs on the record. We're going to do a 60-minute version of this one. And I went, all right. <laughs> <laughs> and what I should have done was said, Tio, I have no idea how to do that because I didn't know how to open it up on the spot with, you know, it was like... Jerry Allen and and Wallace, but nobody else really soloed in the band, and I didn't know how to make it 60 minutes long. 
So it would have been interesting if I said, okay, come on in. You do it, Tio. I hired him once when Gil Evans passed away for about a year. I, I took over that band and had different guests every night, which was a crazy and stupid idea because I had to kind of rehearse every week for the gig, and it was very complicated. And one week I asked Tio to do it, and he brought in all his own charts. Mm. Remember that song, Papers? Yeah. He said, he said, I did a new version of Papers for this, that, you know, and he was just like, he took over the gig completely in the best way, you know, and he would, he would play backgrounds and get the horns going. Tio was great, and it was great to get to meet him here and, you know. I just remember uh, he had his secret device in the recording studio oh, you remember no, we recorded uh with the nyu big band with him twice and he had his secret weapon was uh, he would record the whole band and then excuse the rhythm section and then he would overdub all the horns again so everything would be doubled and it would sound twice as big wow and that was his he says don't ever tell anybody that but, <laughs> now you told I think, everybody I think it's time now but everybody that was, knows. That was really interesting. He just doubled everybody, like doubling strings. Just the arrangement. So when the guy took of course. the solo, you just lay out, and so you're just playing along with yourself. That's a good producing So that was an interesting thing. tip. But, you know, just in case you don't know who Tio was, he, he produced Ellington. He produced uh, that uh, I didn't Dave, know. Uh, take, take Out, or Time Out Record, Dave Brubeck, uh, All Monk. of Miles, Monk. Um, He's the guy. Hey, Dio, how that sound? What record's that on? Miles Smile. Huh? <clears throat> Is it Nefertiti? Hey, Dio. Yeah, play it back. Play it back. How that now, sound? But listen, Tio told me, he, he uh, confided in me, and he says, you know, I flew that into the record. Really? Yeah. He wanted that on the record. That was, he had said that. He said, That's the producer's that. prerogative. Yeah. And I mean, sorry, but I don't know that there would have been a bitch's brew had it not been for Tio looking out how to edit things together and place them together. I mean, to me, in a way, he had a central figure, a central position, kind of like Gil Evans, where he had a lot of leeway and... He had Miles's respect, and uh, you know he could kind of do a lot of a lot of good, and that was a a good position to be in. You know, I don't know if I told you the story, but Tio got cut out of the record, uh, kind of blue. Initially, he was listed as uh, him and Irving. Uh, um, uh, uh, George Avakian. No, no, it wasn't no. George Avakian. It was who was uh, that? Who produced Tio? Uh, who produced Kind of Blue? It was, uh, I'll come back to me, but Tio said he produced it, and he was there. Uh, Irving? I don't know. Well, it'll, I honestly it'll come don't back know. to me. Um, but look, talking about getting cut out, let's just talk for a second about Gil Evans. Mm -hmm. You know, part of the art of arranging is getting cut out. You know, Irving Townsend. That I don't. I don't even know that name. Yeah. Um, did he produce a lot of stuff? Yeah, he was on. Uh, 
Columbia, too. Okay. But, I mean, Gil Evans, I mean, does, does everybody know now that Gil Evans wrote the piece that Bill Evans played before So What? You know, that little interlude. That's composed by Gil Evans, and, and, and Bill Evans played it. And a lot of the songs on, uh, uh, you know, uh, Fees of Kilimanjaro, that was, that was Stone Gill, you know. And, you know, he kind of never got credit for it, but, you know, it's one of those gray areas because it's Miles. He kind of usurps the whole mm-hmm. thing, and it's... Um, but he even goes, you know, further back. He wrote the uh, vocal choir arrangements for Charlie Parker and Old Folks, all those songs. And, uh, of course, uh, all the uh, Claude Claude oh, Thornhill yeah. stuff. So uh, how, how close were you with Gil? Well, you know, I we started off like we were best of friends for a million years, and then I worked in his band, and he kind of gave me a lot of respect and uh, you know I he he kind of confided in me with a bunch of you know just you know um like philosophical things like that line about you know I'd like to tell him to play quiet but I I heard a million things about arranging like I I'm just trying to think back to some of them like one thing he said to me was when he started a project for a certain instrumentation, it might take him a month to to write the first one. But then once he wrote one, he went, oh, I have it in my head now. And I went, wow, that's good to know because you can get frustrated that something's taken a long time, but then you get a flow going. And it happened with Mike Brecker's record too. The first one I wrote for the Quindectet, I went, oh boy. This took me a month and a half, mm-hmm. and there's like ten songs, and the records in a month. So I said I better speed up at some point. Thanks so much for sticking around with us and through uh, a slice of Gil Goldstein's career and some of the great people that he's worked with. Hopefully, those are familiar names to you. If not, they are a panoply of of, of recent jazz greats. Gil's career has taken him in uh, plumbing through various areas of world music, which is really his forte. And uh, we've learned a lot. We continue to learn a lot from enjoying this, the jazz interview series from NYU. And we thank so much the producers there, along with Dave Schroeder, Joseph Vela, Ed Barada, Shake Up Productions, and made possible by a gift from Selma Geller. We want to thank all those who participate in the Jam Session Radio Hour, including Claes Brondahl, music director. Fernando Valladares. Who's helped us choose music. Rafael Alvarez, our uh, post-production guru. And Silvano Monasterios for the use of Tropical Image, his tune, which is our intro and outro. Thanks for all you guys to keep listening. Keep safe. And, uh, and healthy and we'll be we'll, we'll bring you more uh, this will be this is part one of what will now be two parts of the Gil Goldstein interview by Dave Schroeder so take good care and good night from the Jam Session Radio Hour <laughs> <laughs>